Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that scare anybody tonight? Has that ever scared you? That's a pretty scary statement. I know as a kid, I looked at that verse and I'm like, no way. Like, could Jesus have really said that? What does Jesus really mean by that? Well, I'm glad you all are here because tonight we're going to unpack that. And it's my prayer that we'll leave here encouraged and challenged. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 29. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 29. And our passage tonight is the last portion of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' long discourse on what a lifestyle would look like for those that lived in the kingdom of heaven or those that followed Jesus. These characteristics would be true of you. And this took place towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So this is right after he called his disciples, and he's preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see that very early on in the gospel. And he's done enough preaching and teaching to where neighboring cities and villages are starting to hear of this man from Nazareth, right? A city on a hill. So crowds are gathering to hear Jesus preach and teach, to hear from themselves if all they've heard of through gossip, through rumors, was actually true. So they gather on the mountain. Jesus starts talking. It's important to remember that Jesus is speaking amidst a religious context, right? So religion did not begin uh, ever since the birth of Jesus. But there was tons of idolatry already, differing beliefs. I'm sure a lot of atheistic beliefs. Um, But Jesus preached in a religious context. That's key for us to remember later. Think about how true that is of our culture today. Now, you probably won't hear a lot of false teachers or prophets in terms of like words coming out of an instructor's mouth, but think of all the false teachers like Hollywood movies or social media, uh, certain friends we might have, certain American dream ideals um, that want to guide us down this certain perspective on life that really in the end comes up void. Another thing to note is that there were very strong religious leaders that combated Jesus and saw him as hostile right? Most notably the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were doing all they can to study the Old Testament, to apply all the laws, to show everybody how spiritual they were. And that if anyone wanted any sort of confidence to get into heaven, then pay them some money and they'll give you some instruction and you can be assured of your salvation. It's in this context that Jesus appears on the scene. Our sermon title tonight is The Essence of Faith. The Essence of Faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are worthy of our worship. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that this past weekend we were able to celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection. And we thank you, Lord, that he is alive today. God, I pray now that you soften our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us. And Jesus, that you will make known to us that you truly are here. God, would you help us to understand what it is you mean by this verse in this passage? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Lord, would you give us understanding? And may it be you who is speaking to our hearts and not me. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's jump right into it. Our first point tonight is you become like what you put your faith in. 
you become like what you put your faith in. And we get that from this first passage here. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. God's Word says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus warns the crowd about false prophets. Beware of false prophets. The false prophets were those who adopted what we call organized Judaism. If you're unfamiliar with that, it's essentially those individuals that observed the feasts, the sacrifices, all that we read about, and essentially all the traditions of the Pharisees. And that was their means to an eternal security. And that's what they were preaching and teaching to all of these people, deceiving them left and right. What was the false teaching? The false teaching was that the righteousness of the law qualified them to enter the kingdom of God. The false teaching was that our righteousness qualifies us to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's not true. If I abide by these things, I'll get to heaven. If you abide by these things, you'll get to heaven. As we see through Jesus' fruit and tree illustration, we learn that what you believe in determines your lifestyle, and that's exactly why Jesus uses the illustration, is because he wants us to be able to identify these false prophets or these false teachers. You will recognize them by their fruits. In other words, faith will play itself out. Luke 6.45 says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's impossible for any one of us to live in a manner that's contrary to what we truly believe in our inner spirits. Impossible. You can decorate yourself on the outside for a little bit and just kind of fake it for a while, but in the end, your inner belief, what you truly put your faith in, will shape your life, and it'll be very evident to everybody around you, including yourself. The point Jesus is trying to communicate is if these prophets really were producing fruit of the kingdom of God or fruit of the kingdom of heaven, they would be true teachers and prophets, and you ought to listen to them. But because they weren't, they weren't worth their time. Galatians 5, 23, we've heard it quoted often. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, we got a lot of scripture tonight. He says in Matthew 5, 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's important for us a little bit more context to understand that righteousness to enter God's kingdom was not questioned. That was actually taught rather clearly by many religious teachers. That wasn't the confusing part. What made Jesus the icon that he was and such a notable teacher was that he was introducing a different kind of righteousness that was required to enter God's kingdom. That's the difference. Religion was ever more present then, probably more so than today, right? So what made Jesus stand out was 
the scribes, the Pharisees, all these authorities, they're actually wrong. Uh, I'm the righteousness required. And you can see those people who are leaders, who are making all this money off of these widows, you can see why they saw Jesus as an enemy, taking away their influence, their status, their authority. Coming back to the fruit and tree illustration, it was evident that these Pharisees were just hypocrites, these false prophets. They taught for a while, but then they would go back living a different way. They did not truly have the fear of the Lord in them. A couple of years ago, uh, our family had a Christmas gift exchange uh, where we would surprise each of the family members with various gifts, and we wouldn't tell them about it. And we would unwrap them together, we would share these gifts and why we got it for them, and we just had a good old time. Uh, so it was me, my brother, my dad, and my mom. My brother opened his, his gifts, my mom opened her gifts, my dad opened his gifts, and then it was my turn. So I opened my mom's gifts, it was great. Opened my dad's gift, it was awesome. And come to my brother's gift. Good old brotherly love. <laughs> and this was, it was this massive gift. And in my mind, I was like, I don't even know what I would get myself for Christmas. Anybody with me on that? Yeah. Right, so I'm like, what could I possibly have received from him that he is like smirking about? Like he couldn't contain his laughter of how, like what am I going to get myself into? So I start unpackaging the present, and then I see that it's a box to this really top-notch kitchen blender. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't really cook that much. I guess I'll be on a smoothie diet for the next month or two, maybe get a recipe book while I'm at it. Um, I was like, all right, all right. This looks like a pretty expensive blender. Uh, thanks, Oliver. Um, and then I picked it up, and it was a lot lighter than I imagined. I'm like, okay, there's definitely not a kitchen blender in here. So I'm shaking it, and then I hear this small object that's just bouncing around inside the box. So I open the box. Turns out it was a gift card. Um, which I would have rather had that anyway. Uh, so <laughs> joke's on him. Um, point being, that's exactly what happened with the false prophets, is their outward appearance did not match up with who they truly were on the inside. Right? Scripture says, it's not going to be up on the screen, that God looks at the heart, right? Man looks at outward appearance. Jesus, being very much God, knew the inner state of these false prophets and did not want these guys to be fooled or us to be fooled. As I said earlier, false prophets are very much abundant today as they were in Jesus' time. Now, you probably won't be walking around like Aldi or Kroger and see like a false prophet. We probably don't use that word very often today. But again, like think of all those things that influence us today. Um, we may not be hearing prophets as much, but we are certainly more influenced today than ever before in society. Right? So we have to really check what is influencing us. What are we believing? What are we believing today that Jesus does not teach about the kingdom of God? What are we believing about God? What are we believing about ourselves? What are we believing about other people that the Bible or Jesus does not teach? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Could you be one of these false prophets that Jesus is talking about? I might sound a little crazy, but it very much applies to us today. Are you one of these people that come to church or young adults worship just for show? Because you know it's good for you. Because you, you only have friends here. Do you join a discipleship group for show? Do you give to the church for show? Do you do all these things just to feel good about yourself? If any of those descriptors are true of you, you could be one of these false prophets that Jesus is talking about. 
who look good on the outside, who are all patched up, but inwardly are just completely hollow and deceived, empty. And I'm glad you're here tonight because that doesn't have to be true of you when you walk out of here. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, your life will show it. You become like what you put your faith in. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, you will become more like him. And that not only brings you Christ-likeness, but it brings you salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ alone brings salvation. So examine the teachings that you are getting around you. Right? And that includes me. If what I'm saying to you tonight is not found in Jesus' ministry, is not found in the Bible, do not listen to me. I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to Jesus. I want you to listen to what God says in his word. I put myself under the ministry of Jesus. Check what I'm saying. Look for yourself. Examine yourselves. If you need, use some of your church friends for accountability. Hey, is there anything that you would like to speak into my life about? Is there anything that just seems questionable about my life? How can I be assured of my salvation? Like, you know me, you know me best. Examine yourself. And the truth is, in the end, nothing will be hidden from God. It's a scary reality. Because faith will find you out. Whether it's in this life or the next, you will be found out. False prophets. <laughs> uh, you can make it through this life. Let's say you live 100 years and no one found you out, well, before the throne of God, there is no hiding. And you will be exposed, and the whole world will come to know that you really were a false prophet. I don't say that to scare you, but I say that to warn you. Let's keep going forward. Second point is this. I think it's already up on the screen. Uh, faith in Jesus leads to becoming like Jesus. Right? Logical progression. If you become like what you put your faith in, well, if we want to become more like Jesus... It demands us to put our faith in Jesus. Let's read Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Herein lies the confusion of our age today, and that's exactly why I started off with this zinger. We'll go with that word. As we interpret this passage, keep in mind the context we just established, right? Jesus is talking about false prophets, and Jesus will enunciate these words to these false prophets in the end. He's not trying to scare us or his disciples of the instability of their salvation. In other words, like some of us can buy into this belief that I really am a Christian, but am I a good enough Christian? Like in the end, will Jesus still cast me aside because I didn't make the list? Right? That's not what this passage teaches. This passage is teaching about those false prophets who think they can fake it till they make it and they can't get past the throne of God. They will be found out. While we're here, I want to spend a little bit of time unpacking this segment. 
And this is going to be where we spend the most of our time tonight. So we read what Jesus says, that only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? That's the qualification. That's the standard. In turn, we're going to want to answer two of these questions. What is the will of God? How can I do his will? Fair questions to ask. Jesus, is this is what's required of me to enter into the kingdom of heaven? What is the answer? Because I want in. I'm sure all of you do. Well, to answer these questions, it'll be helpful for us to understand what faith means. And you'll see why all of that makes sense. That's why the sermon title tonight is called The Essence of Faith. So let's define faith. I'm going to throw a lot of words at you guys, um, but get what you can. Faith is simply defined as a trust. Faith is a trust. It's not a feeling. It's the adoption of an explanation of the way the world works. Let that sink in. Faith is a trust. It's the adoption of an explanation of the way the world works. It's a lens, kind of like you look through some glasses. The Christian faith, then, is adopting Jesus' view on reality, his perspective. Obedience is participating in that perspective. Hopefully that all makes sense. Jesus ordered his life under a system of ideas, a system of values that came from another divine reality. Right? And he abided by those things. His view of the world was drastically different than what these other religious authorities were teaching. And Jesus was trying to shift these modes of thinking that were being taught and get these people to understand that that's actually not true of the world. This is true of the world. Obedience, then, is saying, okay, Jesus is right. Let me try that. And that's how we get results. That's how we see the fruit of the Spirit start to come into fruition. Jesus will say things like, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Instead of our tendency to get revenge on people who have hurt us, right? Jesus has flipped that notion, right? New idea, new information. Instead of bragging about how spiritual we are, Jesus actually encourages us to practice our spiritual disciplines and time with the Lord alone, right? In secret, and our Heavenly Father will reward us there. New idea. One more thing. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. A lot of us rely on the things of the world to carry us through. Jesus is flipping that idea again. Here's the thing. Many of us have faith in Jesus, but need growing to have the faith of Jesus. Slight distinction there. Many of us have faith in Jesus, but need growing in the faith of Jesus. To say you have faith in Jesus, saying that Jesus is right. Do you trust him? Do you trust his perspective on life, on the world? The false prophets are telling everyone that you have to do this, you have to do that. Not for the pur purpose of being righteous enough, but really, a lot of it was probably just manipulation, self-gain. They wanted to exalt themselves and just kind of use Jesus as a stepping stone. Jesus teaches us that only those who do the will of the Father in heaven will enter the kingdom of God. Another 
note about the context here is that when disciples found their rabbi or their teacher, they committed their way of life to learning from them. So they understood salvation as a way of life. They understood salvation as a way of life. Finding a certain lifestyle was equivalent to entering the kingdom. And meeting with destruction was the equivalent of being excommunicated from that lifestyle. So by putting our faith in Jesus, by them putting their faith in Jesus, their life was getting redirected, reordered, reformed. And by that sense, they were saved. Something to think about. So we put two questions up here. I know we kind of took a little bit to define faith right there, but let's, let's go back to those two questions. Now that we know what faith is, or at least we're on the same page for tonight, let's answer these questions. What is God's will? The Bible says it's faith in Jesus. Jesus says in John 6:40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. If you have faith in God, you've done his will of salvation. Not just in the sense that you got into heaven, but you've been illuminated to a new way of life. You don't have to continue doing the things that you were taught, because Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, has showed us a new system of ideas that we can practice and obey unto this new life. So we have his will of salvation, but then we also have his will of sanctification. And that's found in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is the lifelong process of believers uh, as they are being formed more into Christ-likeness. So scripture is clear that faith in Jesus is God's method of salvation today. Again, it's not just this get into heaven free card. You know, oh yeah, I have faith in Jesus, so on the last day I'll just tell God that and he'll let me in. But it's actually the beginning of a life you can practice and train and work out. That's salvation. Salvation is also heaven. And that's very important. If you preach the gospel, you ought to say that. But it's not merely heaven. It's not merely the forgiveness of sin. It's actually an invitation to life now. And we can all have a part in that. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So why is faith in Jesus such a big deal? It's the only way to life. It's not the it's not the only way to heaven necessarily in the sense that like, you know, he's the right answer. And, you know, when I take a test before God, like I'll just put Jesus down. Jesus is the only way to heaven, but he's the only way to life now. If Jesus is not a part of your life, if Jesus is not your rabbi, if Jesus is not your teacher, you are not living life. You're treading water and you're going to run yourself over a cliff very soon. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Okay. So we've answered the first question, right? What is God's will? Let's go on to the second one. How can I do God's will? We've sort of answered that already, but let's continue to expand on that. It's important to clarify that God's will, 
like when we use that phrase, it's not some hidden document that we have to try to guess and figure out from God to please him. I wonder how many of us in the room think that, right? God, show me your will, right? Is this decision in your will? Is this person in your will? Those are important prayers, and I'm not saying don't pray that, but just be careful not to limit God's will to a mere list of stuff you got to do, and that if you fail the test, you fail him. That's not God's will, right? God's will is faith in Jesus. If God's will is faith in Jesus, and a second part of that is our sanctification, well, God's will is placing our faith in Jesus and continuing in that life. That's our part, right? We do God's will by placing our faith in Jesus and continuing in that life. We have an opportunity to order our life after Jesus's. And you won't be able to do that without spending time in God's word, right? These are the historical accounts we have of our Savior, the Messiah, and all of God's people throughout history, thousands of years of history. That's why we emphasize studying God's word, memorizing it. You can't meditate on what you don't memorize. Fast, serve, practice confession, gratitude, service, journaling, waking up early in the morning, praying to your Father. We have an opportunity to enter the abundant life now, and that's why Jesus came. Obedience is an invitation to the abundant life. Obedience is for our good. God's laws, God's rules are not just stuff that bound us or that prevent us from doing stuff, but is actually the structure of ideas and values that allow life to be lived as it was supposed to be lived. It's for all of our good. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. False prophets say, okay, righteousness is required. What all do I have to do to get in, Jesus? Jesus says, righteousness is required to get in. I am it. Not just the right answer, but the life, the way, the truth. This brings us to this statement. Followers of Jesus have growing to do. Not earning. If we tamper with that statement, we'll immediately be questioned with our salvation. If you are in Christ, welcome. Welcome to discipleship. Now you're on your way to doing his will of sanctification. And that is our part, to obey and to receive that invitation and join in on this abundant life that Jesus showed us, but also that Jesus is talking about can be true of us if we so choose to place our faith in him. So that was a lot, but I want to provide an illustration for all of us here, and hopefully this will tie it all together. Uh, how many of y'all or have ever had, how many of y'all right now have ever had a pet fish? Right, so growing up, I had a ton of fish. Um, recently, my dad got into fishing, and he would, he would catch some fish, and he would bring it home, and then we'd take care of it. We'd feed it, they'd grow big, they'd fight, it's awesome. Uh, so growing up, I didn't really know better. Uh, I was probably not much older than 10. Um, I would walk past the fish tank. I would pick up my little fishing net. I would stick my arm in, my arm would get soaked, and then I would try to catch one of these fish, take it out of the tank. Um, and then I would just kind of put it on my hand, and you just see what it would do. Uh, 
So it would kind of like flop around and then it would stay still. It would flail around, maybe drop on the floor. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't an animal killer. Uh, I was just trying to have fun. <laughs> but rightly so, right? The fish has permission to act like that. Uh, not that it needed it because it was separated from its source of life, right? I took it out of the water and it was dying. So if not everyone here has had a pet fish or currently does, let's involve everybody. Use your creative minds. Let's say we're all fish in the ocean right now. Just picture that. You can be whatever fish you want. You can be a shark if you want. We'll just run away from you. But we're all swimming along. We're hanging out. We're looking for our next meal. And then we come across a dock. This dock that's just there or a pier or something. One of us decides to jump on that dock. I don't know who it would be in this room. But Bible says we'll, we'll all do that anyway. <laughs> and we've already done that. Right, so we're all on the dock, we're flailing around, we've separated ourselves from our source of life. A fisherman comes on this dock, and instead of taking us home and cooking us for dinner or serving us a red lobster, he decides to throw us back into the ocean, where we can move freely, explore, and have our being, and be who we were designed to be. An early church father by the name of Tertullian says this, we little fishes, after the image of our ichthys, Jesus Christ, are born in the water of baptism, nor are we safe but by remaining in it. And it is phrased that way. Uh, and ichthys was the name they gave for that fish symbol that represented Christianity at this time. So this idea of abiding in Jesus, of living in Christ and Christ living through us, is not new information, but it's actually lost information right? Was that 200 AD? That's pretty close to when Jesus was alive. We're, we're 2,000 years apart from when he was alive. And he's saying these things. We ought to consider that analogy and what that means for us. On that day, a lot of people are going to say, God, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? And those false prophets will have the misfortune of hearing the words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Faith in Jesus kickstarts a life of habit formation that forms us into the kind of person in which Jesus would say, welcome home. On that day, it won't be about the right answer. It won't be about knowing what to say. Our faith will be figured out, and who we are today is a pretty good cheat sheet of what we might expect. Now is a great time to change what your faith is in if it's not in Jesus. The Christian faith is a lifestyle that begins with an inner belief in Jesus Christ and cultivated by a disciplined lifestyle of remaining in him. God's will of salvation, God's will of sanctification. How do we do those things? Faith in Jesus. And then... We do the second part by actually obeying, seeing how it actually works, trusting that Jesus' take on reality is actually true. And you won't know until you try it. Listen to these words of encouragement that Scripture gives us. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Not the perfect, not the best, not a certain race, 
not a certain church. He came to save the lost and to seek us out. Mark 2.17, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. There it is. One more, Matthew 11:28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you guys believe that? We have enough lip profession today. We need more action. We need more obedience. Don't tell me you believe him. Show me. Jesus is for us, not against us. Don't misunderstand that. If your faith is in Jesus, you will be entering heaven on that day. According to scripture. And in a sense, you've already entered it. Because heaven is not just a separate realm, this far-fetched concept, idea, that we just like romantically want to feel when we come on Sundays and Wednesdays, but it's actually the fullness of the life that we can begin living because of Jesus. If you don't like living like Jesus did, you will not like heaven because we're going to be loving each other all of eternity, including some of our enemies right now who may know Jesus as well. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. It's not a thing. It's a person. Jesus Christ. Not just his death, but also his life. Don't miss that. If your faith is not in Jesus, today, if your faith is not in Jesus, I don't know of a better place or time to give your life with him. Not just to get into heaven, but to actually participate in new life, abundant life, life you see a lot of us living already. It's an invitation for you to surrender. You're invited. You're not forced. That's the beauty of the gospel, is you can maintain your humanity. You can actually make this decision for yourself. Jesus warns us, though, one way leads to destruction. In fact, that way is very wide, narrow is the way that leads to life. Our last point is this, as we slowly begin to wrap up. Faith in Jesus is salvation. Faith in Jesus is salvation. Let's continue to read Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. Great was the fall of it. So we've come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's time for the people to make a decision. When Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, he's referring to all he said on the Sermon on the Mount. 
So this isn't just all we've talked about in the past 20 or 30 or so minutes. This is all Jesus has said in his discourse. So this includes lust, anger, divorce, all these different characteristics of this lifestyle that would be true of one who lived in the kingdom of God. Jesus is wrapping us his, his sermon, and he's inviting people to obey him. And he compares a doer of his word with a wise man who builds on the rock. And a mere hearer or a disobedient person with one who builds on the sand. In this illustration that we just read that Jesus gave us, it's important to understand that both types of people, whether your faith is in Jesus or not, they actually succeed in building this sort of house, if we're going to go with this illustration. At least on the outward appearance, it looks like they've built a pretty big house, maybe even a hotel. The one difference between the two, though, is the quality of the foundation. The quality of the foundation. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on both houses. One fell greatly. The other was unshaken. To become like Jesus, do what he says. That's not legalism. That's obedience. That's obedience unto abundant life. It's the best deal you can have. When Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, it's not a statement to gain God's approval. He's pleased by it. But the reality is, we have an opportunity to obey after having been exposed to the truth. And the truth here is this. By doing what Jesus says, we become the kind of person who will not be shaken. If that's true of one individual, well, the church becomes a people who are not shaken. We become a group of people, a set-apart people, light in the darkness, who are unshaken by the ways of this world. I think of the people who just went and helped out with the disaster that came through a couple states over. Right? We're shaken by it, but not in the sense that we don't have any hope beyond this, but we have hope and joy, and we're able to help those who may not. Jesus says in John 8, 31 to 32, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free to sin? Absolutely not. Free to be who God made you to be. Like the fisherman who threw the fish back into the water. You can move freely and have your being. We're free to obey. You guys see that tension? We're set free to obey, to adopt a new order of life. That's our part. God doesn't make choices for us all the time. God is a firm foundation. A lot of us need to stop building on the sand because whatever you're building, one measly storm is going to take it away. We need to start building on the rock. And we build on the rock by doing what Jesus says. Let's finish out our passage for tonight. Matthew 7, verses 28 through 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, 
and not as their scribes. If you catch anything tonight, if you catch anything tonight, catch this. Salvation is not just about getting into heaven. It's about participating in the life of Jesus. It's both. Salvation is getting into heaven, but it's also new life. Putting off the old self. That's part of it too. At this time, I want to invite the band back up. We're also going to have a couple of our friends off to the side by the garage door behind this table who just love to pray over you, listen to you, counsel if you need it, share their story, tell you what abundant life looks like in their life and what it could look like in your life. If you don't know Jesus, they would be great individuals to talk to. I'll read this last verse, Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What is the essence of faith? It's adopting a lifestyle, generally speaking. The essence of faith in Jesus, then, is saying Jesus is right. He's my Lord and Savior, and I want to walk in his ways. With the new lens, with the right lens, we have the opportunity to participate in new life. Are you going to trust it? It's up to us.